This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Yeah, oh, thank you, darling. You said the right thing. Now, it's a benchmark time in your life. You can no longer, by any stretch of the imagination, be called young. You are now old. And you. But what I've had to do, I've gone back and I have really reflected over my life. And I've been in church all my life. I've been in church since I'm seven days old. I have never not gone. And I've only really been in three main churches in all that time. So over my history, I've had time to look back and see things. And I'm here to tell you, hindsight is a wonderful thing. Hindsight, and I would do so many things so differently in church now. I'm going to give you my history, a potted history of Edwin's church life. I was brought up in the Welsh chapels. I loved it. I have no angst at all against the Welsh chapels. I loved it there. It was called the hymn sandwiches. Hymn sandwiches, call it was. Hymn reading, hymn preach, hymn, no, sorry, hymn reading, hymn prayer, hymn preach, hymn finish. That was it every Sunday. But I loved it. Then from there, I went nursing. And in between, I used to go to um, Elim Sunday School because we didn't live next, uh, near the chapel. Loved it. Then, I've always been a Pentecostal at heart. Then from there, at 18, I went nursing. And I went to Morriston. Now, nobody had cars in those days, just for you to know. Morriston's not that far away. But I always went. I went to the services in the hospital when they had them. And then I went with my cousin to an English evangelical church in Morriston, where I really took my faith seriously at 21. Then I got married, had children, we moved back to Llangenich. I still wasn't driving, so I went back to the Welsh chapels. And here I languished for a bit. My only friend was a Catholic. And I started to look into the Catholic faith. So I went to two meetings, like a little, um, it wasn't a house group, but a small group meeting, where I questioned, asked questions of the priest. And after two meetings, I had a message from my friend to tell me the priest had said to tell your friend she'll never make a Catholic because she hasn't got enough faith. So the Catholic Church rejected me. They didn't want me. And I, don't, I just asked him questions about their, their dogma. But obviously he didn't like that. And at that time, just at that time, we had a new minister come to the chapel, young First chapel, first time ever. And suddenly, everything was alive, because this man was born again. He was 26 years of age. I came back into the faith, and I have never seen growth since, like we saw in Llangenich. People in North Wales were saying there's revival in Llangenich. The whole of the village was talking about it. There wasn't anywhere that wasn't talking about what was happening in this chapel. Kids came in droves to it. 
we had meetings after Sunday, after, uh, on a Sunday night after that had hundreds come to them. It was amazing. The potential was phenomenal. And it rose and plateaued. Plateaued out. Didn't come to anything. And that is the saddest time in my life. That's the saddest thing that's ever happened to me. And so I moved and I went, languished again for a while. And I went back to my own chapel, my, my parents, where my parents were. And I was there for 25 years. There was a group there of young people who had started uh, um, to hold English meetings. And I went back there. And I was, that group moved out, became what we now know. I won't name them, but... I was there for 25 years. And over the last three years since I've left and become 70, I've really had to think. I've really had to repent. And I tell you, I've really had to come to some conclusions. I have seen every form of service you can have. From the hymn sandwiches to the dripping of the chandeliers. I've been around. I've seen them. I've seen the wackiness of the 80s, and I was wacky in the 80s. Ask my daughters. Well, Ellen's not here. Ask Andrea. I was as crackers as any of them in the 80s. You know, I was there. But I've seen that type of service. I've seen every form of evangelism you can think of. Outside chapel on a Sunday night, outside the park, we would have an outdoor service. I've done door knocking. I've done leaflet slotting. I've done on the streets. I've done friendship evangelism. I've done curry nights and coffee mornings. I've done the, um, what is it, the, the big conferences. I've done all that. I've seen an awful lot. And I'm here to tell you one thing. Nothing will grow a church but love. Nothing that I've seen has ever, no form of evangelism works if the church you're in is not steeped in love for each other. That's what grows. When you are united in church, God grows it. When you're not united, you will plateau out. That's my experience. So I'm here to tell you today that we have an enemy. We have an enemy. And the last thing he wants is to see us grow. The last thing he wants is to see this church grow. Do you think he's going to let you take Ammon for it without a fight? He can't fight Jesus. Jesus won. Jesus is ascended. Jesus is on the right hand of God. He's lost the battle. We are the weak link. We are the ones that he is going to get to attack and very often wins over. And that's been my experience. The saddest thing is to see potential unrealized. When we first came here, I think it was the second or third time we heard Ian preach, he said this. This church has the potential. Ian probably doesn't remember. Well, I do. Oh, <laughs> you fibber. <laughs> He said, this church has the potential to be a mega church, but it's up to us. And I'm here to tell you the same thing. Potential is just potential. It has to be realized. And to realize the potential, you've got to do things God's way. So that's the preamble on to what I want to say.
If you could put up uh, Philippians for me, Lee, please. Back in January, I've been reading Philippians, and I can't get past Philippians 1 and 2, and I've been reading it for months and months and months, and everything I want to say really is from Philippians 1 and 2. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I've read Philippians so many times I can't tell you. I've done about four Bible studies on it. And on January the 14th, because your iPad puts the date that you mark things, don't you? So I know the date, it's fantastic. That prayer leapt at me off the page. And I've prayed that prayer over, that ch- over this church every day since. That is my prayer for this church. That we may abound in love. Until Jesus comes, that's the fruit he's looking for. That we may abound in love. And it says that, not, that you may know, you'd have knowledge of God and discernment about what's right. It says that you, in another version it says, that you'll know what's important and what's not important, but you'll choose what is important, right? Until the day that Christ comes, and you will, you will live a life that is pleasing to God until the day Christ comes. So if anybody wants to join me, you can't bear that prayer. You didn't pray for them to grow with numbers. You didn't pray for healings among them or any of those things. This, I believe, is a prayer that will grow a church. Because if you got that, you'll have everything. So, where does Satan attack then? What does he think he does? He attacks in so many ways, and he's incredibly predictable, but he still blindsides us. He's an enemy. He's an enemy. But Ian said last week about predicting, and I thought, yeah. I can predict where he's going to come. I've seen it happen so many times. You can predict where that's going to happen. And also there are patterns. You see a pattern starting, you think, oh, oh, we're going to have trouble once you see the pattern starting. So, there's external persecution in some churches. Dreadful, dreadful persecution. But I can accurately predict, I think, today, that nobody's going to rush in here with a submachine gun and mow us down. They're not going to throw a bomb in. They're not going to set us on fire. They're not going to take us out and behead us. And they're not going to hang us or burn us or torture us. That's an accurate prediction based on what we know. That's not our attack. The attack on this, on the church in this area, in this part, is internal. We had an in, he attacks us from within so that we become an unhealthy, sick body. It's like an autoimmune disease. We start to eat each other. An autoimmune disease, you divide, it, it kills your own body. It attacks its own body. And that is what I've seen happen time after time after time after time. <coughs> It is so predictable what he does, and yet he blindsides us every time it happens. 
He's an enemy. He is subtle, even though he's predictable. And he's incredibly clever. So do not underestimate him. And now you're all looking very serious because you thought this was going to be a lovely, jokey meeting. <laughs> but it's deadly serious. And when you, when you read this, Paul is speaking to the, to the Philippian church. This epistle is called the Epistle of Joy. He loves this church. This church has helped him. It's, it's um, evangelized with him. It's sent him money when he's needed it. It's supported him when he's in prison. There isn't any word of censure in this, in this gospel, uh, in this epistle rather. He loves this church. And yet, he teaches, he begs them. He's pleading with them. He's urging them to get it right. And that's how I want to come to this church today. Over the last three years, I have been blessed more than I can ever imagine by this church. I have nothing but good to say about you. But I am pleading with you, begging you, as Paul does, make an old woman happy. (laughs) Do it God's way. Because that's the only way that's going to work. So if we look at Philippians 2, 1 to 5. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Philippians is summed up there. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus now. Put down your shovels and your rakes. I'm not teaching a gardening session. (laughs) Right, you know what the shovel and the rake is? That's for me. And that bit's for you with the shovel. I wish so-and-so was here to hear this message. They should listen to that message. Your attitude should be like that of Christ Jesus. That's shovels and rakes. Really what we should be saying is, my attitude should be like that of Christ Jesus. All right? So that's the key to a church that's going to grow. Have the attitude of Jesus towards each other. We think that we can, you know, when you talk about evangelism, it's, um, you know, we should be doing good to others. Doing good out there, doing good. And I'm part of the creative team. The least creative person you can imagine, part of the creative team. That makes me laugh every time. But no, the Bible says you can give all your goods to feed the poor without love. It doesn't matter. You know? Oh, we should be doing something. We should be doing something. Well, do you know what? You can give your body to be burned. And without love, it doesn't matter. Right? We've got to have faith to believe. Oh, how many times have I heard that in my life? We've got to have faith. You can have faith and go to the Brecon Beacons and tell them to move. And without love, it doesn't matter. Love 
is the final and only thing really that we are built on. We cannot build on anything else. And that's the thing the devil wants to stop among us. It's the one thing he wants to stop among us is this loving each other in the way that Christ loves us. So, where does he attack then? Where do you think Satan's going to attack? You can answer me if you want. Well, he's not going to attack your weaknesses, is he? What he doesn't want is for you to grow. So if you're not growing, you're fine. But once you start to grow, you can expect to be attacked. And the attack comes, where? To our strengths. Always to your strength. This is what I've discovered. So if you've got a strong leader, he's going to attack your leader. Why do you think lots of people fall to immorality? The church takes off, suddenly, hang on, he's gone off with some woman he met. How many times, how many times does it happen? The minute the church starts to take off, the leader's immoral and gone. Attack will come. So if you've got a strong leader, you expect attack on your leader. If you've got a strong worship team, you would expect to be attacked. I have seen more fests over worship than anything else in my entire life. You would not believe, and there are people here who will back me up in everything I'm saying. More fests over worship. I've known somebody walk, some, one of the worship team, walk off the stage in the middle of worship because she didn't like the songs that were being sung. She then, because she wanted her way of doing it, she then went to lots and lots of different people in the church, giving them all her ranks. She would cry in the street when she was meeting people only because we wouldn't sing certain songs. In the end, you have a whole huddle of unholy people together, all agreeing, all saying how bad everybody is. And all we're saying is we're not going to sing that type of worship here. But you've got a huge church problem through one person who doesn't like the songs you're singing. Expect disunity to come through worship. It's incredible. It's a, sorry, Paul. I like, by the way, I like the songs you sing. <laughs> Get it out there now, isn't it? I got no angst. I got no angst. You're all right. <laughs> I got no angst. If it's youth, what if it's youth is your strength? What's growing here? What's been growing here? Youth. Do you think he's going to let you get the youth of Armourford in you? Without a fight. Do you think you're going to get it all your own way? Because you've got potential? No. You fight every step of the way. That's where he attacks. And we have to be aware of where he's going to attack us. Otherwise, we're blindsided. Because we don't see it. I don't know where I am here with these papers. I hate papers. And what is he talking us? Well... Last time I spoke, I spoke about um, digging the wells, getting fresh water. And what he wants to do is throw stones back into the wells. He wants to block that well. So once you've started to get fresh water, has been, you've started to see growth, he's going to come and he's going to throw the, the block back in. And he'll come to three areas, I believe. This is where he'll attack us. One is our feelings. Two is our opinions, and three are our standards. Right? And it doesn't matter what the reason is. When your feelings 
your opinions and your standards are suddenly hurt, you will take offence. And that there is where the problem usually begins. With one small thing. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Tiny little things. And they build up. And we remember that that was done. And now this has been done. And we go on and on and on. All right? Little foxes. And they spoil the vine. All these things will lead to disobedience, disunity, and spiritual pride. Three of the biggest stones he's going to throw into the, into the well. Disobedience, immorality, false teaching, heresy, all these things. Disobedience to the known will of God, it is, but ignorance isn't. Opinions, we'll have disunity and we'll have spiritual pride. And he, those are the stones he wants to throw into the well. And if he's allowed to, he'll wreck your church. He will wreck your church. And I'm saying it because I've seen it. And I've seen it in practically every place I've been. It is a pattern you can pick up and it's a prediction you can make. It's not, pros- it's not prophecy. It's not prophecy. It's not prophetic. It's the hindsight of looking back and seeing how he's going to work. And every one of us here is the body of Christ. We're meant well. If you're a Christian, you're part of the body of Christ. And we're meant to resemble him in some way. If I walk in and they say, there's Irwin, you would expect it to look like me, sound like me, and act like me. And it's the same with the church. When people look at the church, they expect to see us looking like, acting like, and sounding like Jesus. And very often, unfortunately, we don't. And I've missed out one very important um, verse, but I've got to put up. Can you put Acts up for me, please, Lee? Sorry. Acts 2, 42. Because I go on on Wednesday. I go off on Wednesday. I forget my notes, forget my verses, and just talk. So this one. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. This. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. This. Praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I've heard this message uh, um, quoted as, um, we should all live in a commune now. That's really what this means. Let me tell you, if Phil suggests we get into a commune, I'm not joining you. I ain't going there. There's no way. Right? It's a nonsense. It means, do you know what? They were together. They loved each other. They looked after each other. There's no message here that they're out in the streets evangelizing. It says they're in their houses, they're in the temples, they're praying, they're eating, they're enjoying fellowship. And God added to the number daily. Because when the church pleases God, I believe with all my heart that God will trust us with people. 
you know, if we're quarreling among ourselves, right? If we're children, if we're a family who are quarreling, why would God give us more children to look after? Hmm? Not on. It won't happen. It won't happen. So, let me look at the pattern. I think there's a, a pattern that happens, and if we catch it right at the beginning, we can stop it. So bear with me. For example, we take offence. Something happens and somebody takes offence. We have a grievance. For whatever reason, it doesn't matter what. I've seen churches quite used to say years ago, they'd split a church over where to place the piano. That's not funny. Because quite frankly, very often, the things we quarrel over are so petty as to not, not is to be unbelievable that people would be offended at that. You, you know, I think, well, I can't get my head around it, but, so, you know, so we take offense, we get a grievance. At this point, Jesus tells us what we should do, and it's Matthew 5, verse 23. This is something... We should do, very often we don't. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. That's the words of Jesus Christ. It's not my words. Pick the bones out with Jesus. Right? But we don't do it. So before I preach, I'd better be certain that I'm not holding any grudges against anybody. Before you worship, lead worship, you'd better be certain you're not holding grievances with anybody. Before you lead, before you come up and give the news, before you're at the sound desk, before you make your coffees, before you clean the toilets, before you put your money in your pockets to give it to the church. Before you do anything, first, you make sure that you've reconciled to your brother. That's the first thing you do. And that is the godly way to do it. Unfortunately, we don't do it. This is what we do do. We find somebody to talk to. We find somebody to talk to. Paul Scanlon used to say, Go to the throne and not to the phone. It's good. Go to the throne and not to the phone. Stop finding somebody to talk to. Talk to God about it. Read that and see what it, what it means. What does it mean? So first, so here's my word of advice. If you really want to talk to somebody, go talk to somebody who's impartial. The last person to talk to is the person who's put their arms around your shoulders and tell you, aren't they awful for doing that to you? Right? He'll support you no matter what. That is not the person. You won't have wise advice. They've already taken sides without knowing two sides of a story. So you're not going to get wise advice. Right? So the person giving the advice is unwise and the person taking the advice is unwise. Because the godly way is you Go and be reconciled. And if you have to speak to somebody, go to somebody impartial who will then try and make peace between the two of you. 
Not somebody who sticks with you and says, yeah, now be together, we're against. That's totally ungodly. At what point is your attitude like that of Christ Jesus, isn't it? It's not on. And then, once you reach there, once that's happened, you've got this, you start to make personal attacks. The attack now becomes personal. It's not about the grievance, because for a start, I asked Lee to put this up, love, where does this say? Gotcha. Um, it is, never mind, it says, love takes, is not easily offended, is what I'm looking for. So love, for a start, is not easily offended. Together, you will then look at a lot of the things that this person has done in the past. You start to remember everything wrong. Love, up there, keeps no record of wrongs. Wow. Do you keep a record of wrongs? don't know if I do or not. This is why his loads of repentance are to go in. You know? It, you, you can't just drag up what people did in the past and think it's godly. And once you pass that, you start to now do the personal attack and the character assassination on people. And you do that now in front of a group of people. So now you're even more. I'll talk to these. So I've got a little, I call it an unholy handle around me. The unholy huddle of people who are now agreeing and talking about people. Many, many years ago, we started a discipleship course. <laughs> and we were very unwise. <laughs> Never forget it. We put two people in charge of the course who were very, very gentle and quite um, inexperienced at leading. Real sweeties. And there were two women there who bounced off each other both with access to grind. Practically the whole of the meeting with the, was them character assassination on the leader, trashing the church, and challenging the leaders. Now these, remember now, is a discipleship course. <laughs> there you got all your little fledglings, if you like, and they're not so much that they're youth or young, but they're new Christians. And they myself, you may as well plant them in hydrochloric acid and expect them to thrive. What grows in that atmosphere? What can possibly grow in an atmosphere of such poison? That's a poisonous atmosphere. And yet, you do it because you can and somebody agrees with you, so I must be right. So on I go. And this goes on. So the pattern goes on. The pattern goes on. Next thing, after the character assassination, you're now in punishment. You're into punitive now. This is where you stop talking to people. I'm not talking to him. He's upset me. I'm not talking to him. I had somebody cry to me on the door. She, she said, I was standing there. She just walked past me. They're not talking. What have I ever done to them in tears? It's so hurtful. How can it possibly be the attitude of Jesus to ignore people in church? How can that ever be right from whatever point you're coming from? How is that right to ignore people who Jesus died for? Same spirit, anything of the spirit among you. You know, how is the Holy Spirit ever telling us 
not to talk to people. When I heard somebody say, while back, and this is quite recent, not this church, I may hasten to add, not this church. But I heard that in one church somebody used use the word, I hate And I was horrified. Not much horrifies me anymore. I was a nurse for 42 years. I've seen a lot of things. <laughs> that would horrify you. So very little horrifies me. But I thought, how can you use language like that in church about people that Christ died for? I mean, it's sheer madness, you know, to think that I can do that. And still, A.W. Tozer, don't get a worship team, says this. <laughs> he said... You cannot pray in love, live in hate, and think you're worshipping God. Full stop. Full stop. So we become this punitive, punitive people who want people punished. And I have seen huge church crisis develop because one person took offence. And that's the catalogue of things that went on, and it's ended up in a split. You tell me at what point your attitude should be like Jesus is in any of those stages. He's an enemy and he blindsides us. He blindsides us. It comes from areas that you'd never expect. But we are, we have a ministry of reconciliation. God reconciling himself to man. While we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. We didn't get it right before Christ died for me. You know, I didn't get it right. We didn't say sorry. We didn't get ourselves together. And then Jesus died. And you know what? We take all the mercy and all the grace for me, for my sin. And then we withhold it from others. You can't do it, church. We just can't do it. You know? On the cross, one of the last words of Jesus was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Who's he referring to? The, the, the Roman soldiers who were casting lots, gambling over who was going to get his coat. The Roman soldiers who had beaten him. Who had, the Roman soldiers who had made him carry the cross. The Roman soldier who nailed him to the cross. Pontius Pilate. All the Roman Empire, the Jews, the Pharisees who had a trumped up charge against him, the Jews who were obeying for his blood, release Barabbas and crucify him. Barabbas who was released, who was a criminal, his disciples all who had left him, was the them. And then there's you and me. Who are the them? Forgive them. Just forgive them. Because grace and love, like mighty rivers, incessant from above and it says that mercy holds back the hand of judgment so when we become punitive wanting to punish we have to be very careful because mercy is that thing and this is the, the, the dictionary definition of mercy is is from some sorry I'm speaking yeah, I'm sorry <laughs> somebody with authority who is able to punish but says pardon them instead that's mercy Mercy holds back the hand of judgment. So when you can do a disservice, you choose to do good. That's Jesus, isn't it? Love your enemies. Good to those who despitefully use you. You do all of this. 
the church can't function healthily if we don't behave like this. And I don't think we please God if we don't behave like this. And will we have issues? Yes. Yes, we'll have issues. Of course we'll have issues. It, it's what Naomi read out last week where, where, where we're being hewn into these stones. The temple had no mortar between it. There were stones that had been hewn to fit perfectly together. And they had to have pieces shaved off them and cut off them so that they fit together. There's no mortar at all in the temple. And that's what we're meant to be like. So I won't get on with you. You get on my nerves. You rub me up the wrong way. But you know what? I've got to come alongside you and expect to have bits of meat chopped off so that we are both being perfected by each other. That's what happens. That's the church. The church isn't a place you come with your opinions and expect and if people don't listen to your opinions, you take a half and start creating havoc. What is that all about? What is that all about? But you know how many times I've seen that happen? It can even happen in the kitchen team. <laughs> in the kitchen team. I'm not kidding you. It can happen, it can happen in the worship in, in, in the welcome team. I've seen it happen in the welcome team, I've seen it happen in the kitchen team. Worship team, whatever team you've got going, you can have this. In the kitchen team, there was one person there who found a little niche in the kitchen. She was like a little queen bee in the kitchen. She wasn't in charge, but she was sort of mothered in the kitchen. She was a little queen bee in the kitchen. And somebody else joined. She wasn't happy. She wasn't not happy that other person had come in, and she might be more important than her in it, and this was going on. So she made the life of this person really miserable. So that person came to see me and I said, well, I can't really get involved. It's too heavy. But we'll send so-and-so, take so-and-so, who she really liked, really respected, and go and see her. So they went to see her. And she admitted she was wrong and reconciliation. Impartial, right? Reconciliation done. But in the meantime, I know, until the need told me, oh, I hear so-and-so throwing a weight about in the kitchen with... I said, what are you talking about? Oh, yeah, because she'd been to see the leader's wife and crying to the leader's wife, saying that this other person was bullying her in the kitchen. I said, a complete opposite. It's the complete opposite. And it's been sorted, and she's admitted she was wrong. Do you know why we can listen to people who are telling us fibs? We can create havoc over people who are telling us fibs, or rather, misinterpreted, or rather, haven't got the right end of the stick. Desperately important that we do it God's way. Yeah. That we do it God's way. That's all. Yeah. Just do it the way God wants it done. First of all, be reconciled. Because we have a ministry of reconciliation. That's what Jesus wants us to be. He wants us to be together. Why? So that his plan can evolve. Yeah. It, won't, it won't come about. Prediction. It will not happen if we don't do it God's way. No, no. It will not happen. And at that point years ago, I would have stopped and said, now off you go. Get it right. Do it now like you, uh, you know, pray about it and do all that you have to do about it. And all that does when you tell people, when you stop there, is people either get angry because you've raised an issue or they suppress Oh, I can't, 
can't feel anything. I can't feel anything. And actually, I read this. And this is by Tosa, who is phenomenal. My main man. And I haven't got it with me. Yes, I have. Nobody knows A.W. Tozer. He was an American minister right up to the 60s when he died. Um, And it was after his death that they recognized that this man was a prophet. And this man is a man who has taught me more than anybody else ever in my Christian walk. And this is what he says. Has it ever occurred to you that a hundred pianos tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each must bow. So, one hundred worshippers met together, each one looking away to Christ, and in heart, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God and strive for closer fellowship. I think what he's saying is this. My tuning fork isn't you. Your standard isn't my standard. Your thoughts are not what I I really need to know. I can never base or um, have a a, a feeling of who I am by looking at you. I will see that some of you are better than me and some of you are worse than me. And that's how we view each other. It'll make me proud or it'll make me sad. Basically, it's only when I look to Jesus only when all my thoughts are taken up with him only when I want to be with him be like him learn from him do what he tells me to do every time that is when true unity in the church begins unity in the church is not us all agreeing together unity in the church is us all agreeing with him it's us all agreeing with him that we will become that I will become what Jesus wants me to become. And then that you will become what Jesus wants you to become. We will all play our part and we'll all love each other because we love the one who saved us and he wants us to live in love. And when I want to please him and when the church pleases him, in that way, I absolutely believe with all my heart God will add to our number. God will add. We spend too much time thinking we can do it. As I said, I've been through endless evangelism sessions. I'm not going on another one. You say, yeah, we're going to course in evangelism. I'm not coming. I've been on so many. I've never seen any of it work. I've never seen any of it really add to the church, apart from Shungenich, apart from then. I want to see it happen again. I want to see it happen here. I want to see it happen here. I want this church to be our day too. You know? I want us to love each other. I want us to get on in such a way that we wouldn't let any devil in hell come against us and spoil what God wants to do. You know, we wouldn't, we would know this is an attack and I'm not falling for it. 
put yourselves in second place to him. That's the standard we bow to. Not each other. You're all flawed. I can't use you as my standard. Every one of you is flawed, and so am I. We're flawed people, but he is perfect. He is my standard. He is my tuning fork, and that's when we get unity in the church, when we are tuned in to him. In Jesus' name. This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269 596000.